escaped the temptation. It says this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Verse 16. Stacy, come on up. Pray for you. Father, um, we just want to thank you uh, just for this moment. Scripture, your word goes out, it doesn't go out void, uh, but it's the life bread uh, of us knowing you, of us loving you, of us trusting you, of us seeing how you do a work in our lives. And so this morning, may that not be different. Uh, may we surrender, may we confess, uh, may we listen, uh, and may we uh, truly be disciples of you. Jesus, so we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, good morning, City Light. Uh, as you guys know, we're continuing our Rule of Life series. Like I said, if you're just joining us, typically what we do is we work through a book of the Bible. Uh, but right before we kick off the fall, we're going through a Rule of Life series. And uh, Andy Crouch has defined a Rule of Life as this. It's a set of practices uh, to guard our habits and guide our lives. So that's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to create some structures some rhythms. I think Eric said last week we put up fences in a way. You know, he, he gave this illustration of um, children when they play, if they have a fenced in place, they're more free. Or if there is no fence, they just sort of like uh, a hen with its chicks, right? They just stay right around the teacher. But if you give them some uh, parameters, some rules, like a fence to guard them, they actually have more freedom. And everything we do, everything we do with our time, our schedules, our practices, our habits are all shaping us in some way. This is the big idea for a rule of life. And as Christians, what we want to do is we want those things we do to actually shape us to become more like Jesus. Uh, to act like him, to do the things he did, to care about the things he cared about. So what the rule of life is actually trying to do from a Christian perspective is to make us more like Jesus. And so we're, we're talking each, like a little different thing each week for the next couple weeks about how we do this. And the big idea for a rule of life which I've said probably 15 times since we started, right, is to bring intentionality into our desire to be more like Jesus. Uh, Eric talked last week about prayer. And so for me, um, I need work. I need help in developing a rule of life around prayer. And so, like, I have this, uh, this little note card box, right? And so I got this from our city group. Our city group, a while back, we went through a praying life. And one of the things they talked about was having note cards, and you just put people's name on there, you think about a verse for them. And so I would say, probably all of you, I have a note card in here with your name on it where I pray for you. Um, that's not because I'm super spiritual. It's because if I don't have it, I, it won't happen. Right? I need like a fence to say, okay, part of my rule of life is in the mornings I pray for people in my prayer box. And so I don't just have you guys in there. I have probably about 10 friends of mine who don't know Jesus and I'm praying uh, my verse for them is, Lord, open their hearts that they would see you. And so I mention their name. I pray for them. I pray for my kids. Um, I pray broader for our church. I pray for all kinds of stuff. And actually, I have a rule of life around my prayer because if, if I don't have that, it just it won't happen. Um, 
That sounds very spiritual, uh, but here's what can be a stumbling block for us. If we think of things like prayer, uh, the Bible, fasting, as, as those are spiritual things, but the rest of our lives are not spiritual. I would say that's, that's just not true. Um, things like work, play, recreation, rest, uh, all of that is spiritual. All right, we, have, we don't have spiritual and non-spiritual parts of our life. Everything is spiritual, from how we spend our money to the books we read, to the TV shows we watch, to how we work, our time off work, Sunday mornings. Everything we do, if we take the whole definition of a rule of life, is shaping us somehow. It is shaping us. Um, and today I want to actually talk about the idea of work. So think about this, the majority of your adult life, you will spend at where you work, right? We spend money in college or training to get into the work, whether that's a, like a vocation, a trade, a job, it consumes a lot of our energy, both mentally and physically, amen? Right, sometimes work is not just physical, it's mental. Therefore, we need to think about it spiritually, theologically, because it is. And if we're gonna talk about work, especially in a, in a place like this, um, we need to wrestle with questions like how do we engage in the workplace? What is God up to in our employment? How does God want us to use our work and our vocation? So hear this, a lot of times Christians, especially evangelical Christians have said like, I go to work to be an evangelist, right? But God wants more from our places of work than evangelism. He wants more than that. It's not just that, it's so much more. We don't just earn money so we can give a portion of it to quote, real work, right? Christian work, uh, like the local church or overseas missions. Uh, the very idea that Eric and I would have spiritual jobs and everyone else doesn't is not biblical. It's just not the case. Um, we're called to what God's called us to do and we do that. But let's be careful that we don't have a false view of work where some work is spiritual and some work isn't. And let me just say this up front. When I talk work for the rest of this sermon, I'm not talking about immoral bad stuff. I'm talking just work in general, okay? Um, and the question is, how does our culture view work? If we want to be Christians, if we're trying to shape our lives to be like Jesus, um, what does our culture say about work? Well, uh, how many of you have ever seen this show? Should be the next slide, right? The Office, right? I'm sure most of you have seen The Office. But here's the question. I talked earlier about how a rule of life is shaping us. Everything we do shapes us. So if you watch The Office, what would your theology, philosophy, what does it say about work? And probably one of the most watched shows ever. Um, the employees try to do as little as possible. If, you, if you've watched the show. Uh, Michael Scott is the most incompetent man ever. And he lacks all self-awareness. Amen? We can all agree on that. And most of the characters, if you look, here they're spending the majority of their lives in this office. And what are they? They're bored. There's no meaning. Um, I think about Jim. Jim is almost above the work, right? So what's he do? He just goofs off. Uh, the only person that actually takes their job seriously is Dwight. And he is the most ridiculous person on that show, right? So according to The Office, right, here's what The, here's what the Office says about work. It's tedious, it's ridiculous, it's pointless, right? There's no nobility, there's no beauty, there's no meaning at Dunder Mifflin. Hey, if you work there, everyone pities you. Um, the goal there is to retire or get a new job as quickly as possible. And we see this in our culture all the time. 
The motto is work hard so you don't have to later. Right? Or make enough money or, um, to get out, bare minimum. I'm not saying The Office is a bad show. Um, I'm merely asking the question, what does it say about life? Especially when it comes to work. What is The Office teaching us about work? Has it shaped our worldview? Right? So we have The Office, and then we have the other swing is the next show, Mad Men. Anybody watch this show? Some of you are like, I watch it, but I don't want to say, right? Some of you probably like that. Um, if you don't know, it goes the completely different direction as The Office. It's, the show is about an ad agency in the 1960s uh, with a group of characters who, unlike The Office, they're not defining themselves by work in The Office. The people in Mad Men are defining themselves by their work. Um, they, they work really hard on that show, and they lose a lot. So the office says work is ridiculous, whereas Mad Men sees work <coughs> as it's worth sacrificing everything for, right? It's a chance to change. Uh, if you don't know, the main character is completely transformed by his work, even changes his name, okay? Uh, it's the change to transform, to achieve, to become who you want to be. That's what work can give you, according to Mad Men. But the characters of Mad Men, I would say all of them, end up sad, lonely, and in my opinion, kind of pathetic, right? They lose everything. Work, it, it can define us in all the wrong ways. So in Mad Men, when the deal is made, they're heroes. When they lose, they're zeros, right? They lose a client, they lose a job, life isn't worth living. Like it wrecks them. Uh, Tim Keller says this about work. You can't get through one of my sermons without a Tim Keller quote, right? If you are successful, it goes to your head. If you fail, it goes to your heart. Amen? Anybody felt that way? Um, me and Eric joke about this all the time. If we get up and preach, we feel like we had a good sermon, we're like, yes, that was good. Uh, if we get up and feel like we preached a bad sermon, it takes us till Wednesday to, to recover sometimes. Right? Um, because we're buying, into a, we're buying into a madman view of work. Right? That we're, we're uh, affirmed whether we do good or do bad. Right? Um, in the world of madmen, there exists this hierarchy of roles, status, pecking order. Do we have that in our culture? Is that how we view work? Right? We have to get the promotion because if we get the promotion, we're a better person. And my question for us is, do we view that as Christians? Is that how we see it? Uh, this is often why the question comes up when we meet someone for the first time. What do you do? We want to know that. And sometimes that could be honestly innocent and affirming. Um, if we spend most of our time at work, it helps to know what somebody does. It gives us a context for them. But that can also be a negative thing. Um, we hear this all the time of people who worked a job for years and years and years, and they retire and they lose themselves. They don't know who they are anymore. Right? If they're not a doctor, if they're not a driver, if they're not a supervisor, if they're not a teacher, if they're not a pastor, if they're not a mom taking care of kids, and that's gone, who am I anymore? Work, work can have such power in us to define us. Um, or is work just a means to an end? Right? Maybe it doesn't define us, but work is just a way to pay the bills, stay off the streets, feed and clothe people I'm responsible for, but that's it. Just kind of go in, do my time, and get out as quick as possible. How do we view work and vocation as Christians? And if we ask that question, we'll need to answer the question, what does it mean to serve God as a banker or an accountant or a truck driver, a supervisor, a line cook, a student, a nurse, a sales rep, a business owner, a stay-at-home mom? How do we create rhythms, practices, 
habits around our work and vocation, especially if it's something we're spending 40 plus hours a week in. Like we're at work more than any place else. So we need to have sort of a vision for work, a theology, a philosophy around it. And my hope this morning is to, uh, to give us a little clarity around our vision, our theology, and purpose when it comes to work. And then at the end, I know this is a rule of life series, but there'll be a little bit on rule of life, but not much. But, but here's what I look at this morning. The goodness of work, right? Work is good. Um, God, as he relates to work, and then the dignity of work, and then, then how to work as a Christian. It's kind of four broad categories here. Uh, first, we think about uh, the fall, right? Adam and Eve, the, the text that Eric preached this mo- or read this morning. So first, the goodness of work. Um, many people think of work as bad, okay? Anybody ever thought of work as bad? Maybe we've had some bad jobs, right? Um, but that heaven, we think about work, and that heaven will be, talking to Christians especially, um, kind of one long retirement. And I remember at my dad's funeral, uh, a relative said, I bet Ev is up in heaven right now, casting a rod, catching fish. Now, I love fishing, um, but fishing for eternity does not sound like a lot of fun to me. Um, that, that, this, the idea that my dad has died, entered, left this world, entered the glories of heaven, and he's like got a bait caster and just, you know, working the banks forever. Uh, it's kind of a low view of heaven, um, and there is no work. Or I've heard something like this too. You know, Mom, I bet she's up there crocheting right now. I mean, how long could someone crochet? I, I imagine Mom sitting in a lazy boy with those little crochet sticks, just click, 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 right? that little noise. That's not heaven, all right? Of just, <laughs> of just sitting around crocheting a blanket. How huge would that blanket be after 200 years? Right? That does not sound like paradise. Um, but that's kind of this vision we have, right? We, we leave this world, we leave work because work is bad, and we go to heaven where it's just, you know, it's a sandals resort forever. Uh, but what we see in the text, especially the text that Eric read this morning, is that work is around before human sin. Right? It's before the fall. So when God created the world to be perfect, he gave Adam a job to do. Um, in Genesis 2, He's, he's told the, the garden to work it and keep it. So Adam's got a, he's got a gig. He's working a job. Um, and here's what I want us to think about, especially in a, in a pre-fall when it comes to work. How many of us have ever been involved in a project that just engrossed us, right? You loved it. That old saying, right, you, you work a job, but it's not a job if you love it kind of thing, right? You get satisfaction from it. You love that work. That's what I think Adam is doing in Eden. Like, he's got this job, and he loves it. And it's not defining him because he's in a relationship with his creator, but he has purpose. He has meaning. He's doing his work. He loves it. He's upkeeping the garden. Um, But Adam needs help, so he brings Eve along, and she's working with him. So here's what's cool about that is there's this collaboration between them. Um, Adam and Eve co-working together in this garden. They weren't just sitting around eating grapes and sunbathing. That's not what they were doing. They had a job. Um, And they they were in unity with each other. So it's like pre-fall, you went to work with your co-worker and liked them. Right? They weren't irritating. Right? You think about the people you've worked with. You're like, man, I love my work, but when that person shows up, gosh. Right? That's that's not in pre-fall. Right? Before Adam and Eve sinned, work was this beautiful harmony of people co-laboring together. 
right? Uh, but when they sin, part of the uh, curse affects their work. So now you get irritated with your coworker. Um, their, their work's damaged, and now work contains difficulties and challenges and frustrations. Yesterday, I had this pile of brush, and I was working through it, getting it cleaned up, and I was really enjoying it, right? It was work, but I was enjoying it. I laid out all these big pieces that needed cut up with a chainsaw, and after like the hundredth pull of my chainsaw, I realized Adam and Eve screwed this up for me, right? Like the chainsaw would have started on the first pull. That's the effect of sin, right? It creates problems in our workplace. But here's what's important. Adam and Eve fall, all right? Sin enters, uh, work has challenges, but they're still called to work because work is a gift. It's not a curse. Work is good. Um, and work will eventually be redeemed. And because of this, I fully believe we will work in heaven. We will have jobs in heaven that are satisfying and we love them. Um, and we'll work with joy and deep satisfaction. Like that when you work and you step back and you go, man, look at that. That looks good. I'm happy with that. That's work in heaven. Right, so first, work is good. So when we think about working, work is good. Next, God is a worker. Um, let me put out uh, two sections that talk about God as a worker. Hebrews 11.10 says this, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then we go to Genesis 2.2, which Eric read. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all that he had done. God was, is, and will be a worker. God works. Right? He builds, he designs, he creates. And as him, his image bears, we're called to do that too. And it'll look different for all of us. But we build, we design, we create. This is why so many of us, not all of us, but I think most people, when they see laziness, it irritates them. Right? Something in us goes, that's not right. right. Because it goes against the very nature of how God wired us. He wired us to work. And so there feels like uh, something's wrong if that person's lazy. We, it doesn't set well with us because God designed us to work. Um, another thing that I think is really fascinating is at the end of the book of John, as John's giving his account of Jesus' life, after the, res the resurrection happens, Mary Magdalene is weeping outside the tomb. Okay, you guys track and let me know the story. And Jesus speaks to her, but she doesn't recognize him because she thinks he's a gardener. Isn't that interesting? The first time Jesus talks to someone after his resurrection, he is mistakenly given the identity of a gardener, a blue-collar guy working, right? Not some glorious king, but a guy that's probably got dirt under his nails because he's working. Um, dirty hands, manual labor. And what's interesting also is Adam's job. What's Adam's job? He's a gardener, right? He's caring for the garden. Even in Jesus' resurrection, there's, a, there's an aspect of Jesus, even in that, is redeeming work in his resurrection. And in the book of Revelation at the end, when we see the holy city, you have a city there, but you also have trees and a river, right? The city has grown. It's this garden city. Jesus redeems work in his resurrection, and you see the, the fruit of his gardening at work even in the eternal city. God works to bring about creation. He's still working. He will continue to work. And so will we because of the resurrected Jesus has time to plant tomatoes, 
or green peppers, right? We're going to have time to plant too. Um, working is who we are as image bearers of God. So we're going to work in heaven. Because that's who we're made to be. We're made to work. Uh, so work is good. God works. And next, all work is dignified. And this kind of goes into the sort of madmen philosophy, right? Climb the ladder. Um, certain work is dignified, certain work's not. Well, that's not a biblical account at all. Um, historically, when this idea really took hold for Christians was during the Protestant Reformation and the teachings of Martin Luther, right? Um, when the priesthood of all believers took off, that whole idea, we might take that for granted, but that, that kind of comes out of Martin Luther. Um, that the priesthood, he, he was fighting this idea that the priesthood was the real holy work, and then there was secular work that wasn't as meaningful or prominent or as important as the priesthood. And Luther fights that and says, no, we're all, pre we're all priests. We're all God's holy people, not just the priests. All of us are. And so Luther comes along and teaches that, no, all work is holy. And that really takes hold to where it's not just that the priests have the special work and everybody else doesn't. Blue collar, white collar, it's dignified. Sweeping floors, managing corporations is dignified. All work is good work because it's God's work. Um, and Luther teaches this idea that when, when it says God protects you or that God feeds you, one of the ways he's doing that is through the work of people. So, for example, if you leave here today and you go get a pizza somewhere or a salad, Luther would tell you that, Yes, God is the one who's feeding you. So, so thank you, God, for this food. We pray before a meal. But he would say this, is that the, the, the worker that maybe picked that lettuce or worked that field, that work is what's feeding you now, right? The truck driver that drove that from the field to wherever, to the, to the warehouse, God's feeding you through the work of a truck driver. The guy, warehouse guy that puts it on the truck, he's feeding you through them. Uh, the cook in the back that cooks it for you, God's feeding you through the labor of a cook. The waitress that brings it out, he's feeding you through them. All work is God's work, right? So there, there's not this level of, well, this is more dignified than that. He says you can't eat without God feeding you through um, people of all kinds of different vocations, right? All work is dignified. So that means whether you're managing a print shop, a business, waiting tables, studying for school, supervising a team, caring for the sick. Um, God is using you. He's using us and our work to care for the world. So it all has meaning. It all has worth. It all has dignity. No work is meaningless. Amen? He's using everybody. Uh, listen to what Paul says in Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, right, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. This verse answers the question of what it means to be a Christian banker or plumber or nurse or business owner. H how do we serve God in that? Um, let me give you some pretty um, not highbrow application here. You ready? Um, if you're a Christian truck driver, the way to be a good Christian truck driver is to not wreck the truck and show up on time. It's, it's kind of that. It's that simple, right? If you're a cook... At McDonald's, your job is to show up for work and cook. Do that. Um, if you're a pilot and you're a Christian, the best way to serve is not to evangelize on the plane, but to actually land the plane and don't kill everybody. Right? It's just pretty simple. Show up, do the work. 
Because it's, if you're a student, your job is to study. Um, all work is dignified because God's a worker. So when we work, we actually get to act like God. We are acting like God when we work, and it's a form of worship according to Colossians 3, right? When you work, work hardly as to the Lord and not for men, right? You're serving the Lord Christ, he says. So if you're flipping burgers, you're doing that for Jesus. If you're managing a Fortune 500 company, you're doing that for Jesus. There's not levels here. All our work is done for him. Let me give you uh, an example of this. I worked in a, a mail room uh, in St. Louis, right out of high school, and I worked for A.G. Edwards. I don't even know if they're around anymore, right? But um, I worked for them, and my job was to sort mail. And so I would sort it in these different bins. I remember I had Florida. I still remember it. And I would, you know, Tallahassee goes here, Tampa Bay goes here, and I would just sort them. Well, there was this guy who was a very loud Christian, and he had the easiest route. And we always had to wait for him at the end of the day to get the work done because he was out talking. And, and it actually hurt his witness because people say, this Christian guy can't even do the work, right? His witness would have been much better if he'd have just done the work. But instead, he felt like that wasn't as holy as him, you know, evangelizing. And evangelizing is good, but he could have done us all a favor and just did his work well, okay? Um, and some of you have worked in place where you're like, just do the work. Just do the work. It's that simple. We just do the work. Um, here's a positive example of that. Maybe a little controversial, but in Ireland in the 1600s, right, I'm talking hundreds of years ago here, right, uh, people often drank uh, water from the same places they would dump waste and garbage. You don't have to be a scientist to figure out that's not going to go over well, okay? Um, so they didn't understand microorganisms then, um, but they knew that when they drank the water, they got sick. And so what happened was people drank alcoholic beverages because it was safer then. They just didn't have the science, right? Um, then the time of the gin craze hits Ireland. And the gin craze was this time in Ireland where 1600s where people are getting crazy drunk. Poverty becomes an issue. Alcoholism is going through the roof. Crime is rampant. Um, as a result of this, people start brewing beer at home, right? Because alcohol content was so much lower and the process to brew the beer killed off a lot of germs in the water. And so they kind of had this weird uh, logic, right? So if they drank water, they got sick. If they drank gin, they got too drunk. And so they brewed beer because the alcohol type was low and people didn't get sick, right? That was the extent of their, their science then, right? But during this time, 1600s, there's a young guy sitting listening to John Wesley preach, right? And he's, he's convicted. And this guy's a local brewer. And so... Um, historically what is said that happened is afterwards this guy goes to meet with John Wesley and he says hey uh, I'm hearing your sermon uh, I want to give my life to Jesus I want to follow him and so I'm thinking about getting out of the brewing business and joining the ministry and Wesley says to him not to do that but actually use your vocation to serve Jesus so that guy was Arthur Guinness think about Guinness the big dark beer like seeing those that's the guy that's sitting there, the founder of the Guinness factory, uh, of the Guinness brewery, right? He, he's sitting under the teaching of John Wesley, and Wesley says, keep brewing beer for the glory of God, not, you know, not, let me rephrase that. <laughs> keep running your business for the glory of God, right? So Guinness pours himself into, he, he founds the first Sunday schools in Ireland. Um, he gives vast amounts to the poor. He founds and sits on numerous hospital boards in Ireland to care for those who couldn't afford medical coverage. Uh, he takes care of the needy. He challenges the people in his social class to not be so extravagant with their wealth and be more generous. 
right? Because he sits under Wesley's teaching. And Wesley says, don't go into ministry, keep working your business. So this kind of passes on to his children. And where they, he taught them, hey, your work is holy to God. Um, so because of that, there, this legacy begins to happen with the Guinness factory. Uh, to where they say, how can we bless our employees? And so um, his kids serve God by making the lives of their employees better. So one of the first corporations to give, like, dental, medical, um, was Guinness. He's like, how can we improve the lives of our employees? He does that. Um, at the Guinness factory, way before, like, this is when all the employees were men, um, the Guinness board said, um, moms and children, we'll pay for any schooling you guys need, right? Way ahead of their time. Once a month, they had a massage, a massage therapist come in and give the employees massages, right? This is radical for that time. But if you were to ask the, the Guinness family, why are you doing this? They would say, God's given us uh, a vocation to serve our community. Um, the point is this, if Arthur Guinness would have thought he had to go into ministry to do, quote, real work for God, Ireland would have suffered. Right? He was a brewer, business owner, and he does it well, and it impacts his country, it impacts Ireland, and we're still feeling the effects of that today. Some of the benefits we think of that should come from a corporation, Guinness thought of those because he wanted to serve Jesus. Work is not a bad thing. A work existed before the fall, it exists afterwards. It's going to be with us forever. Uh, God himself is the person who works, and we should too. And all work that encourages the flourishing of ourselves and our community is dignified. And however we work, we should work as if Jesus himself is watching us. Because he is. And he's ultimately our boss, and he's the one we're working for. So, how, do we, how does this show up in a rule of life? That's kind of the question. How does this show up in a rule of life? If you guys saw that paper that Eric handed out last week. Uh, the first question in regards to work and a rule of life is, how can you work better? Um, just simple stuff. If you're at work getting paid, are you scrolling on your phone instead? Uh, is there a book, a podcast you could listen to or read that could make you better? Um, do you take extra long breaks, show up late, leave early? A simple thing could be show up on time. <laughs> it could be that simple. Um, or do we stay up way too late at night, get to work exhausted with nothing left to give? So let me show you an example how this would overlap in some different areas. Um, this is where we would say, all right, I'm going to bed at this time as part of my rule of life. That could fall under work. It could fall under rest. It could be in both those categories. Right? Getting enough sleep falls into a lot of categories. But if you're, if you're not rested, you're not having anything to give at work. So get some good sleep. Next, here's another one. Uh, what if you hate your job? Okay? I understand that. that. Maybe some of us are in jobs we don't like. Um, this, this one's a little more complicated, but maybe you're not staying in that field. And this is where I'd say you'd also have some overlap in your life in the prayer section, right? It might be a work issue, but in your prayer section, you would pray a lot about, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And it could be that, you know, what God wants you to do is stay in a job you don't like because right now he's doing something in you, and that's going to be a season. I also understand, too, that this is coming from um, sort of a place of opportunity, that we might not be able to say, you know what, I want to do this, and we just go do it. And obviously this would preach different if we were in, like, um, a developing country where people are barely eating. It, it wouldn't sound the same. But God's given us opportunities here. And so if you're in a job you don't like, pray about that. And continue to pray about that. Either Jesus give me contentment and show me what I'm supposed to be doing here, or open up a door for me. And just keep praying that. But in the job you don't like, 
continue to serve, not for your boss, but for the Lord. Amen? All right. Another aspect uh, that would fall into this is generosity and giving. All right. Financial giving flows out of our money. And most of us, I can't think of any of us who doesn't get money from work. All right. So part of your working is you're getting a paycheck. And I would say give part of that. If you've never been a person who's given, um, that just hasn't been part of your rhythm, in your rule of life, you could start with 1% or 2%. Like, just give something. Just start somewhere and start giving that as a result of, hey, God's blessed me with a job. I get a paycheck. Therefore, I give in response to say, I don't serve money. I don't serve my job, but I serve you, and I trust you, Jesus, with it. Right? This is where rule of life helps. It helps us live intentionally of becoming more like Jesus. Right? And we don't give or work when we feel like it. A rule of life says, all right, I'm going to work when I don't feel like it. I'm going to give when I don't feel like it. Because we're structuring our lives in such a way that we're saying, I'm going to become more like Jesus. I'm going to spend time with him and do the things he did. So I'm going to call the worship team up now. You guys can head on up. As we get ready for communion, communion servers, you can get it set up. Um, on the cross, right, this is the time we always want to point back to the gospel. On the cross, Jesus actually says, it's finished. Right? He had a job to do and he did it. It's finished. And Jesus had work to do. He did it. And part of his work was to redeem us, to bring us back to life, uh, to reunite us with him, to rescue us from sin, death, and hell. And as a result of Jesus' work, we get to work to honor him, uh, to show his goodness in our work. But here's the thing. We can also rest from our work because our work doesn't define us. He does. His work defines us not ours. Therefore, we can work, like, you know, work unto the Lord. We can work to him, but we can also rest. We can make time for family, friends, community, hobbies, because our work does not define us. Jesus does. So when we come forward to receive communion, what we're doing is remembering, we are remembering Jesus worked hard so we can work hard, not to define us, but because we're going to get our identity in his work. And we can also rest well because our rest, we're not working to get identity. We're not working to prove ourselves. We've already been proven. We've already been honored. We've already been significant in him. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. And when you guys are ready, come forward. Jesus, we thank you so much uh, that you're a good God. That you worked hard when you were here. Uh, but you also rested. And we get to do the same. And so Jesus, I pray for us this morning that whatever work you've called us to, that we would do that well, we would do it unto you. Um, I pray that we would find satisfaction in our work. And for those of us who are in jobs that we don't like, or just finding our work meaningless or not satisfying, I pray that you would give us peace in that, give us contentment. But may we work unto you. And may we celebrate that your work was redeeming us reuniting us back to the Father. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, just going to give you guys a little bit of direction here real quick. Um, Eric and Terry over here, whenever you're ready, I would ask you guys just to take a moment, just reflect on your week. Um, if there's any sin you need to confess to Jesus, do that. But when you're ready, come forward, and they're going to speak some words to you. Eric's going to hand you some bread, um, and you'll take that bread and dip it in the juice that Terry's holding. But whenever you're ready, uh, please come forward with me.